Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. Colleen Kraft, and Dr. Kraft is the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And over the last few weeks, Dr. Kraft has emerged as one of our real leaders, one of our real figureheads in helping all of us first understand and second come to grips and third begin to act around this family separation crisis that our country finds itself in the midst of. So, Dr. Kraft, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you. You've done a remarkable job, I think, of being a forward-facing person to give the public an understanding of what is happening inside of these shelters where children who have been forcibly separated from their parents are being kept. Obviously, this story, when it broke a couple of weeks ago, caused a furor. When did this story sort of come to your attention? And when you started to speak publicly on it, did you expect the uproar that has followed? So so to answer the first question, I was contacted by some of our pediatric colleagues who are working in the border region of Texas, and they were very concerned about these children. And, and they said that these kids are being separated from their parents. Now, this was before you actually heard Attorney General Jeff Sessions say that the separation was happening. But they said, in fact, this is happening, and we're seeing these kids just totally traumatized. And the American Academy of Pediatrics needs to see this and speak out against it. So I went down to the border mid-April of this year to see what I had talked about in the shelter. And particularly striking were the very, very young children who were either inconsolable or just silent and looking at you scared. Um, did I think it was going to set off the fury that it did? I didn't, but I'm glad that it has because in all of the political commentary about immigration, nobody focuses on children. And children are our future. Children are our future citizens. And we as adults have the collective responsibility of raising them the best way that we can. I agree with what you just said on a number of levels. And as I've been reflecting on this, one of the things that struck me is as these various images, right, the most of them have been stills. There has been not been a lot of video from inside of these camps where the children are being kept. There have been, they've sort of turned into this national Rorschach test on where we stand on this issue. And the opinions that have come out of it are so volatile. But I, I agree. I mean, this is a, this is a, a segment of, of, humanity that is totally vulnerable and is dependent on other people to to keep them safe. Where do we stand in just sort of the minimum specifications of if you're going to concentrate a bunch of children in a camp, where do we stand in terms of keeping them safe in terms of do we have the infrastructure in place if there's an outbreak of an infectious disease? Do we have the infrastructure in place where if there's a fight to maintain good nutrition, to maintain good hygiene? We all are responsible for these children now until we are able to, you know, reunite these families. Where do we stand in those sort of basic, basic human needs? So that's a really good question. And the answer is we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wonder about these kids. And I think about this as a pediatrician. When you have a group of kids together, what is their immunization status? Yeah. 
What is their nutritional status? What is, is this going to be where our next measles outbreak is going to be? So yes. from, you know, apart from the fact that, that they should not be separated from their parents, it really does pose an infectious disease risk and very different than a typical summer camp where you've got to have a physical and, you know, your immunization updates and things like that. We just don't know about these kids. When something bad happens, and I think all of us are really concerned that it will, whether it's, you know, poor nutrition or an infectious disease or something like that, is there confidence that it's going to be managed correctly? Is, is there confidence that there is a process by which the children can be brought to a hospital, can be brought to an office, can be properly cared for to maintain, to at least ensure that their physical health can be maintained? So again, the answer to that is we don't know. Yeah. I mean, so many of us have not been allowed into not only the shelters, but the detention centers to see what's going on there. Uh, I do know that there are physicians contracted to see these kids. I do know that there are social workers, but you know, I didn't see any of these folks when I was visiting the shelter in Texas. And you don't know about the policies, particularly when you have an increasing number of children who are coming into these centers. So then we come to the other part, which is not the physical health of the children. It's the mental health of the children that are in these centers, but also of the children that are seeing this happen who are not in detention You've spoken very eloquently and very thoughtfully on the subject of toxic stress. Can you, can you kind of define that term again for our listeners so that we all know what we're talking about? That this isn't that sort of, I'm stressed because I have to go to work today. This is a very different sort of process that has a material effect on the maturing brain. Absolutely. So, so we produce stress hormones in response to stressful things that happen in our lives. And those stress hormones are cortisol, they're epinephrine, norepinephrine, the fight or flight hormones, and then some inflammatory chemicals as well too. And for very young children, some patterns of stress are actually good for them. So there's something that we call positive stress. And this is the stress hormones that react to normative situations. You're a 15-month-old and somebody has told you no and you have a temper tantrum. Well, your stress <laughs> right. hormones are right. they're rising. Yeah. And in the presence of an adult who cares about you, they can buffer those emotions. And what happens with these children is that they begin to learn that, yep, I can have someone say no to me and I can have a temper tantrum and I can get over it. And that causes, that causes resilience. So that's really a formative part of that child's brain. What we're talking about here, though, are elevations of those stress hormones that don't have the buffer of that loving parent next to them. So these are separation. This is fear. This is hunger. This is some of the things that are the, the most adverse childhood experiences we see. And when these hormones stay high in a young child system and they do not have that loving, caring parent to help buffer those hormones, those hormones begin to destroy those developing neural connections in the brain. And so what we see with the very young children is that they have fear, but they don't develop language. They don't develop those social emotional bonds. They don't develop their gross or fine motor skills. And 
this toxic stress actually through the dysregulation and abnormal development of these neurotransmitter pathways actually disrupts the architecture of their brain development. So in the short run, we see developmental delay in these kids. There's so many things about this that are profoundly alarming, but but hearing that description, and, and you've described this so well on CNN and NPR and, and, and other forums, I feel like we've almost created a mass casualty event, mm-hmm. that we've created a scenario where we have thousands of children that we are harming through this policy and through this process that we're going to be responsible for it. And we it just doesn't feel like we've laid the groundwork to even understand it, let alone begin to try to fix it. But it's there and it, it, we own it. And, and that's really the reason why we need to do positive things going forward. Yes. So very first is getting these kids reunited with their parents, but understanding that, that toxic stress is more harmful with the younger children and with the longer separations. So a lot of these kids are not the same kids they were when they were separated from their parents. So what what needs to happen is these kids need to be in a healing situation, access to trauma-informed care, uh, not back in detention centers. We can't do things that are going to re-traumatize these kids. So there's a lot of concern in terms of how the reunification is going to take place and where these families will be while they're still waiting to be adjudicated by the immigration courts. There is, I think, great concern around this, too. I agree with you. And I think that there is a, a significant lack of trust right now in our institutions to be able to execute this well. Do you find that more and more people are looking to organizations like the AAP to help guide this? Are you are you going to be able to be involved, to be empowered, to to help? with this process? I, I think that what one of the solutions to this problem is going to lie in the generosity of the American people and people who understand the science of brain development and want to help. Right now, we're not even allowed to be part of these conversations. So right now, what all you're hearing is, well, these kids will be put back together. We're not quite sure how. Uh, we'll keep families together in detention centers, you know, and, and really, truly, your point is absolutely correct, is that there's a wealth of resources within the United States, in our nonprofit sector, in our folks who work with behavioral health and medicine, and we could be helping to solve this problem if this was recognized by our federal government. That also leads to the other question, right? I mentioned that at least in my impression of these images and this issue has really shown itself to be a Rorschach test where we can look into how people would address a crisis like this. Are you getting pushback? As you've been forward-facing, as you've been vocal, as you've tried to serve as an advocate, are you getting pushback? Are, are there people telling you that you need to stop or that what you're doing is wrong-headed or something to that effect? I would say the vast majority of people are telling me to keep going. Okay. And that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, there, there's always going to be pushback. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, is that I sort of am getting it from both sides. So one side saying, no, these are illegal families, et cetera. And then the other side saying that you're not doing enough. And, and that happens. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, again, I need to keep the target on the children. These are the we need to be looking at these children and saying, what is it that we're doing to them? And what is it that we need for these kids to be able to 
to heal and to be able to continue to grow into normal children and, and healthy adults. And in parallel to that, are you, because you're still in active clinical practice, and obviously you represent many thousands of practicing pediatricians in the United States, are you beginning to see concerns about kids who are not at risk of separation, but are afraid that they will be, or that they're afraid that they might be separated from their families. Is that starting to kind of bubble up in, in schools and clinics in these sorts of places? So you're talking about the kids who many, most of the time are citizens of the United That's States. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and the National Immigration Law Center estimates that about one in four kids live in families with mixed immigration status. So one in four kids makes that a pediatric issue. And these families might have green cards or work visas or maybe DACA or other or undocumented, and they're all scared. So we have parents who are not bringing their kids in for their well visits because they're afraid someone's going to pick them up in clinic. We have kids that we're seeing that are having chronic headaches and stomach aches and not wanting to go to school because they're afraid their parents will not be there when they get home. So that fear is is another front that so many of my colleagues are facing across the nation. You know, I I'm having my own response listening to that, of course, just like anyone else would be. When I was growing up, I was never in a place where I was afraid I would be, or I could be separated from my parents beyond, you know, some sort of unforeseen catastrophe. But I always had really profound separation anxiety. You know, going to summer camp and things like that was always hard for me. Right. And mm -hmm. I just, so I'm having that sort of visceral response right now of I just, I cannot imagine what that kind of fear must feel like. And it just does not feel right that that exists in our national discourse right now. When right. people when people want to help, when people reach out and say, "Look, I want to contribute," where are you guiding them? What what places? What websites? What sources are you sending people to when they say, "Look, I want to try to participate"? What is the right way for people to apply that energy? Much of what we are doing is is having folks um, look to connect with or donate to a couple of organizations. Uh, Catholic Charities is one that is doing a lot of work in refugee resettlement. And then um, ProBar, which is part of the American Bar Association, and uh, KIND, which is another program, are all programs that are looking to help represent some of these immigrant families and help to find out where those kids are and try to get them back together. As we move through this crisis, I feel like the next phase is going to be when cameras are allowed into these camps, into these detention centers, and when some of these children that are reunited begin to speak to the media. What do you feel like is going to be the next phase of this? Do you think that I'm on the right track with that? Because I think that's going to make it a lot worse. I think that that's going to be an accelerant. But do you think that there's another place that this is going to go? Or what do you foresee is happening? What's as our next step in, in trying to negotiate this disaster? Well, I think that we, you know, the, the first big now what to me is going to be, will these kids be reunited with their families? Yeah, so yeah. if you listen on the news today, they will tell you that 500 kids have been reunited. So that leaves another 2,000. And the ones I worry the most about are the little, little guys. Yes. You know, the ones that are not verbal yet, the ones that would recognize their parents, but but it's been a while. And they have just been really frightened. And so, you know, it will be interesting to see if we hear at all from these families. But they have been so marginalized that I, I 
these families are not about activism. They're about keeping being safe and fleeing yeah. violence. And they've been so downtrodden already. I think they don't want to be in the media. I think they just want to be in a safe place. That's an excellent point. And I think that I may have been a bit naive in thinking about what the next phase may have been. And I, you've helped me reshape that and I appreciate it. Uh, I know that you have a long day ahead and probably long weeks and months ahead. And I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. It is imperative that we have physicians leading this, uh, you know, the commitment that physicians make to our communities is something that now more than ever is going to be vital in doing this work. So if people want to find you and they want to see the work that you're doing and they want to follow you, can they, where do they find you on social media? So uh, on Twitter, I'm at AAPPRES, P-R-E-S, or you can, if you follow the American Academy of Pediatrics, you'll see what it is that we're doing. Thanks again so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Colleen Kraft, and thanks to all of you so much for listening and sharing in, in this discussion. Please share this episode with your friends. Please go to iTunes and to the new Google Podcast app, and you can find Explore the Space there. Please leave us a review and a rating there, and please come back. We will be back soon, and we will certainly be continuing this, this conversation as this continues to evolve. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.